Good morning, everybody. Last week, we began a brand new series at the church post-Easter. It's called The DNA of Good Relationships. And we were talking about the two greatest commandments that we have in life. You know, Jesus in the temple area, the last week of his life, when he was asked by a Jewish scholar, by a teacher of the law, said, he said, Jesus, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second command is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus expounded on it in Matthew's gospel because he said, treat others the way you would like to be treated. A lot of times we treat others the way they treat us. In fact, we're going to talk about that dance today because it doesn't lead to anywhere but destroyed relationships. If all you do is treat others the way they treat you or you treat others because you don't like them in a, in a bad way, relationships are going to be destroyed. But, so we want to treat others the way God treats us. Love others the way that God loves us. We talked about relationships. We introduced the series last week, and we said life is all about relationships. I came across a quote by C.S. Lewis. He talked about relationship between us and God, and this is what he said. Lewis said, God made us, invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol. You know, there he's from the UK because he says petrol and not gas. A car is made to run on petrol and it will not run properly on anything else. Now, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn. And so Jesus is doing us a favor. It says this is the way God made us for relationship with our creator. So he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's where healthy living comes from, being in a right relationship with our God and our creator and our redeemer. Life is all about relationships. So before we continue on forward in this message, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, when we pray to you we declare our dependence on you. Lord, you're the one who made us, and you made us to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. Lord, you made us for relationships with each other. It is not good for the man to be alone. So, Lord, we pray that you'd show us, illuminate our hearts and our minds, and how to live a right relationship with you and with other people. Lord, help us to learn what that means, to love our neighbor as ourself, and use this message, Lord, give your servant clarity and passion as I declare it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 Uh, today we're going to talk about how to stop what we are going to call the dance of destruction. Life is about relationship. As we said, the rest is details. Everything in life that truly matters can be boiled down to relationships. You know, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will never pass away. So we know that the Bible, Jesus' words are going to last forever. But there's one other thing. There's only one other thing on this planet that's going to last forever. And that is you and me, human beings. God made us to live forever. He created us in his image. So we want to stop the kind of dance of destruction that destroys relationships. Now, uh, I happen to like dancing. It's a favorite uh, activity of mine, especially at weddings. We always love our wedding receptions, our birthday parties with our family. We get together and dance. How many of you guys like to dance? Oh, yeah. You know, a lot of people do. 
I look at the choir, I think of the choir, and I think of the people in the front row, and I go, man, these guys love to dance. They can't hardly stop moving. Um, for some of you, uh, the kind of dancing you like is ballroom dancing. For others, it's swing dancing. I know our youth pastor, Luke Sanders, he knows swing dancing. He's very good at it. Uh, the modern jitterbug is what I call that. Uh, for others, it's country line dancing. I don't know how many of you go back far enough to Billy Ray Cyrus and Achy Breaky Heart, and we all learned how to do that dance, you know, do, 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 and all that. So that was, that was a fun dance. One of the favorite movie scenes that I remember about dancing, it comes from the movie called Hitched. It's with Will Smith and Kevin James. And I wanted to get a YouTube video of this to show you the clip, but Gene Neighbor is in Italy, and so enough said about that. But I did, I did uh, capture a picture of it because uh, Kevin James is trying to get this girl who's beautiful, and she's wealthy, and she's way out of his league. I mean, he's, he's, he's uh, punting much farther than his coverage, as we would say in football. But Will Smith is there to try to help him get into a good relationship, dating relationship with this girl. And so he knows that uh, they've got their first date, and they're going to go to a party, and there's going to be dancing at this party. And so Will Smith says, okay, show me what you're going to do at a party. Show me about dancing. And Kevin James is like, oh, I got this covered. And he starts to do all these different kinds of dances, and he's, he's got the Q-tip, what he's doing right there. He's like, the Q-tip, the Q-tip, throw away the Q-tip, you know, making the pizza, making the pizza. And he's got all these, these moves that he does. And he finishes all these crazy type dance moves, and Will Smith finally just says, stop, just stop. He says, he says you want to get this girl? <laughs> Cut out the crazy dancing. That's only going to distract it. All you need to do is this. You get the beat of the music, and you just go back and forth. This is your home. This is where you live. Arms are six feet, or six feet, wow, six inches, <laughs> your store, your, your condor. Um, your arms are six inches out from your body, and all you got to do is follow the beat. That's all you got to do. And then they show the movie scene, and then when they're actually at the party, and the girl's dancing, and she's doing all this stuff, and he's, and he's just got this straight look on his face, and he's trying to keep it in so bad. But when she turns around, he starts doing all this. Yeah. And then she comes back, and he goes back into the dance. So it was, it's so fun to watch. You know, I don't know... What, why, what was said? Want to see it again. Want to see it again, yeah. You'll, you can get a repeat of this second service if you stick around. I might, I might hone some of my moves. Maybe I'll ask Ula to give me some tips. All right, uh, but anyway, uh, learning how to dance. All of us know how to do this dance. This is called the dance that destroys. This is called the dance of destruction. I wish we didn't know how to dance this way, but all of us have learned this kind of dance. Um, and it's all based on what we have inside. It's all based upon us being human beings, living in this fallen, broken world, and learning how to cope with this fallen, broken world, trying to get our needs met outside of God's plan for our life. And it's called the fear dance. And it's basically a box step. It has four moves. I kind of introed it last week. You know, one, two, three, four. You know, you guys can do that, that, that one box step dance. There's four steps to this dance. I'm going to tell you all about it. But after we finish up with Kevin and, and Will <laughs> from the movie, we're just going to remind ourselves of last week because we said that life is about relationships. You and I were made for relationships. 
Uh, and the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, or as a person thinks in his or her heart, so he is, according to Proverbs 23, 7. We live our beliefs. We live the way, uh, according to the way that we think about the world and about each other. So, so what are some of the thoughts that we have toward the world and toward each other? Uh, for example, uh, Lots of people go through difficulties in life. Lots of people have bad experiences in life. The real question is, it's not just what you go through, what kind of experiences you have. It's what you think. It's how you interpret those experiences. You know, like Paul could say, I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I'm at, right? Well, where was Paul when he wrote that to the Philippians? Paul had, was in his second year in jail uh, imprisoned in Rome next to a Roman guard during the second year. And he says, no, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. If you look at Paul from the outside, you say, Paul, why would you be willing to go through with that? Why are you staying as an apostle of Christ, not giving up on this message that God gave you? Why are you persevering? And he, and he says, well, because God is with me and all things work together for good. In fact, he says, whether I'm in chains or not in this prison, it doesn't matter. As long as the gospel's being proclaimed, I am happy. What a different perspective. So in other words, it's not what happened to Paul. It's what Paul thought about what happened to Paul. It's how he interpreted his circumstances where he writes in Romans and then he says, all things work together for good. It's not that everything that happens to you and me is good, but that God can work all things together for good. So there's hope there. I want to uh, share an illustration and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to tell you part of the story and then I'm going to finish the story later on in the message. But I want to tell you a story about a married couple and some of the difficulties they were going through in their marriage relationship and how this fear dance works out in their life. So this is a couple, uh, their names are Dan and Celeste. They're in marriage counseling uh, and they're facing a crisis. Dan and Celeste have been married for 15 years. They have three children. Dan has been out of work for six months. So he's in a tough spot. And an employer in another state offers Dan a job. But again, the job is in another state, so the whole family would have to pack up and move. Dan wants to take the job. They've lived in this community where they're at for years. His wife, Celeste, will not agree to the move. In fact, she's digging in her heels. I don't want to move. And they're both tired. They're frustrated. They're angry with each other. And they come to this marriage counselor and they say, can you help us? Now, when you hear their story, what do you think their problem is? Well, Dan says, the problem is that my wife wants to stay here in this town. I want to move so that I can work again and so I can provide for my family. That's what Dan says. Well, Celeste, his wife, says, well, if we move to another state, I won't be around my family. I won't be around my friends. They're an important support group for me. And so you hear their, their two sides of the story and you think, well, the conflict appears to be obvious, whether they should stay or whether they should go, you know, just like the old Clash song, should I stay or should I go, whether they should stay in their town or whether they should uh, move and take the job in another state. Now, that seems to be what the problem is, but here's the question, is there more to this problem than meets the eye? Let's talk about the dance that destroys relationship. Let's talk about some truth of what's really happening when you and I are in conflict with somebody else. 
It could be our spouse. It could be a close friend. It could be a, a co-worker. But when you and I are in conflict with somebody, there's usually more happening than what appears to be happening on the surface. On the surface. So number one, the first thing, and this is for your fill in the blanks, for all of you guys who have your bulletins, you're ready to write. The first deal is the, the, re, the external problem is rarely the real problem. The external problem is rarely the real problem or the deep problem or the actual problem that's going on under the surface. What we think is the problem isn't the real problem, and that's a fundamental truth about this DNA of having good relationships. It's the surface problem is often not the real problem. Number two, let's go on to the next one. The real problem or the core problem isn't the external problem. The real problem is my fear. It's my fear. And you're going to say, fear of what? Well, there's lots of things that we're afraid of, but each one of us uh, has a core fear. And when I say a core fear, what I mean is each one of us has something bad that if we think this happens to us, it will confirm a belief that we have about ourselves. right? Uh, so you're dealing with a problem and you think what the surface problem is, but there's really a deeper problem at issue and that problem is my core fear. And we all have a core, at least one core fear. We all have something that we're afraid of that we say, we cannot let this happen to us in our life. If this happens to us in our life, our life will fall apart. And so we are going to fight this thing from happening of which we're afraid of. And, the and that's what starts, this fear that we have is what starts the universal fear dance. Whether or not you know it, you all know the fear dance. You can all do the dance moves, whether you've heard about this message or this talk before or not. So each of us has these core fears, things that we are afraid of, things that we, we say, Lord, please don't let this happen to me because if it does, my life's gonna fall apart. Okay, how do you know what your core fear is? Okay, I'm gonna list some of the core fears and you look down the list and say, okay, which one of these kind of, kind of jars me? Which one of these touches my life? Which one of these kind of unsettles me? And that if this happened to me, boy, I would really be thrown off my game, right? My core fear is that I feel, the first one is humiliated. Humiliated, a core fear that people have. Humiliated, like I have no dignity or respect. The second core fear is, is the feeling of being helpless or powerless or controlled by other people. Like I'm not, you, you feel like I'm not in control of my life. Everybody else is telling me what to do. They're all controlling me. I feel helpless. I'm not in control of my life. By the way, this tends to be the number one core fear for guys, for us men, being out of control being controlled or power or controlled by other people or powerless. The number three core fear is being rejected, being rejected. Like people are closing me out. They're shutting me out. They're telling me I don't matter in their lives anymore. They don't want anything to do with me. That feeling of rejection. Number four is abandoned. The feeling of being abandoned or left behind. By the way, I believe number three and four, rejected and abandoned, that's the number one core fear that women deal with. It's why they're so in, why you wonder, why are, why are women so much better connected relation, relationally in general, right? I'm just going to make generalities. But why does it seem like women are better connected relationally than men? It's because they're, they're always overcoming 
a core fear of being uh, rejected or being abandoned or left behind or being, number five, being disconnected from others or being alone. Those fears, are, are, they run deep in all of us, but even deeper in general in women. So another core fear, my core fear is that I feel like a failure, like I'll just fall flat on my face. I think that's a core fear for men. You know, we want to be adequate. We want to measure up. We don't want to fail. Uh, I can tell you growing up that this was probably my number one fear. As much success as I ever had in my life, different areas of my life, there was always this feeling like I don't want to fall flat on my face. I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to go out there and try something and fail. So it's better to not try and not prove that I, that I would be a failure. It's kind of funny because if you don't try, you can't succeed either, right? But, but I didn't even think of it that way. It's like, what, what if you try and you actually succeed? I wish somebody had actually come across in my life when I was a teenager and told me that. What if you do try and you fail? Is that the end of the world? And I would have said, yes. And then they, with wisdom, they would have said, no, that's not the end of the world. Fra you know, failing once, is there's so many things we learn from failure. So many things I've learned since then, since being a teenager. But, but the fear of failure is deep in a lot of people. Number seven, feeling unloved, that no one could love me. There's nobody out there that could actually love me. I'm not lovable. And then number eight, uh, it's kind of a, a, kind of a combination of all, this, of all these. Feeling inadequate, feeling inferior, feeling invalidated. I don't measure up. So we have these these core fears that we have. Uh, one of the ways that you can tell which fear you have is look at this list right here and then ask yourself this question. What do you do, what do you do when you feel one of these feelings? Whether it's helpless or humiliated, rejected, abandoned, disconnected, you feel like a failure, you feel unloved or you feel inadequate. What do you do when you feel that way? How do you cope and react when you feel that way. How do you cope and react when you feel that way? So that's number two. The real problem, the core problem that we have inside of us in, in having better relationships and why don't we have better relationships, the real, the deepest problem is we, we all have this core fear, either one or more of these. So number three, and this, this correlates to that, each of us is involved in a fear dance. And the fear dance involves four steps. The four steps of the fear dance are right what is listed up there in the yellow on the screen. It's our hurts, it's our wants, it's our fears, and it is the fourth step is it is our reaction, our reaction to having our core fear triggered. Because this is what happens in a conversation when you get into conflict with somebody. This fear dance that we go through, it's triggered by a core fear. This core fear is is somebody says something to you and it makes you feel unloved. Or somebody says something that makes you feel inadequate. Somebody says something to you and it makes you feel like a failure. So there's some core fear that's triggered inside of you. Um, for, in, for example, uh, let me give a paragraph summary. When somebody pushes your fear button, you tend to react with unhealthy words or actions. Those words or actions that come out of you, they're calculated to motivate the other person to change. In other words, you respond to somebody when they hurt you to try to get them. You're not, you're not really saying out loud, you hurt my feelings and I wish you would stop. And when you say that to me, it makes me feel like this. That's, called, that's deeper communication. 
But a lot of us are afraid, well, if I get into a conversation that deep, it's only going to reinforce the hurt or it's only going to reinforce what I think they're feeling about me. So I'm not going to talk about my feelings. I'm just going to counterattack and say, you touched on a core fear and that triggers this response and you react with unhealthy words or actions. You're trying, ultimately, you're trying to motivate the other person to get them to give you what you want. You're trying to change the other person. And what you do is you say, you're, you're saying to yourself, instead of dealing with my own core fear, I'm throwing it all on the other person and saying it's all your fault and you need to change and you're the reason that I have these problems. So the first two moves of the fear dance, you know, you have the hurt and then you have this want. And what the want is, is I want to be validated. I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. I want to be included. I want to be important and significant. I have that want. You hurt me and you challenge you know, that feeling that I have inside. I want that. And now I'm going to try to get that from you, but I'm going to try to get it from you in a relationship in an unhealthy way. So you have these first two steps called fear and want. Where we are not getting what we want in these unhealth, in these relationships. So how do we get, how do we go about getting them? You know, it's not bad to want these things, right? God created us. He created us with this desire to love and to be loved. God created us with this desire for acceptance and understanding and validation and respect. We all want that. We all want safe relationships. We want relationships that, that reflect dignity and trust and give us significance. Most of all, the deepest, the deepest thing we want out of a relationship is we want love. We want to know that we're valued and that we are, we are held in high esteem. It's not bad at all to want these. The question is, how do we go about getting this? How do we go about getting this? So what happens in the, in the third and the fourth step is right here. It says, too often your reaction. So, you know, I have something that's said or done to me and I hurt. And so now I go over here and now I want, I want, I don't want that hurt. I don't want that core fear triggered. I want, I want to be validated. So I'm going to, I'm going to now, I'm going to now, uh, it's triggered my fear and I'm now going to react. So when my core fear is triggered, now I'm reacting with unhealthy words and actions to try to get you, the other person, to fulfill my wants. And suddenly, now the two of us, we're in a full-blown fear dance. Because typically, what I say in an unhealthy way, when my core fear is triggered, sometimes that's going to trigger the core fear of the other person, right? So I have this graphic. I, I think it might be the next one. There it is. Uh, copied it right out of the book, good old iPhone photos. And uh, so it starts out this way. It says, I hurt, I want, I don't want to hurt like that. I fear that, that you're going to expose that core fear that I have. And, and, and it's like I'm going to be found with no clothes like Adam and Eve, you know, when God says, where are you? And he says, we were hiding. And God says, why are you hiding? And it says, because we were naked. So that fear of being exposed for my, my inadequacies or, or 
I'm not getting what I want in life. That fear is now triggering this reaction and I'm reacting in an unhealthy way. And when I react in an unhealthy way and say or do hurtful things to the other person in the relationship, guess what happens to them? Then they hurt. They get a want that's triggered. They have that core fear that is, that is, that is brought up and said, oh, I, gotta, I can't deal with that core fear. And so they react in an unhealthy way too. And now the fear dance just gets perpetuated over and over. And you, get, you see these couples and people get into these arguments and you're saying, what is the argument really about? It looks like it's about, like in Dan and Celeste's case, the argument is about whether or not they should move. But the deeper issue is something else. Um, you hurt, you want, you fear, you react. And we, oh boy, do we react in unhealthy ways sometimes. Sometimes in our reactions, our unhealthy reactions, we escalate our emotions, we lash out in anger. Uh, by the way, guys think that that's the most acceptable emotion that's out there. Uh, some guys think that the only two emotions are hunger and anger, but I don't think hunger is really an emotion. But anger seems to be acceptable, but anger is like a secondary emotion that's really triggered by hurt or by fear, right? The primary emotion that's coming is I hurt, you hurt my feelings, and I fear that you've exposed me for being inadequate, so now I'm going to react to that, and, and what lashes out is anger, or sometimes we belittle, sometimes you belittle and devalue the other person with sarcasm. You know, that's, that's the, the educated, the subtle form of insult. You know, we, we're not going to insult you directly. We're just going to say something sarcastically about you. Sometimes we blame our spouse. Sometimes we say, oh, it's all your fault. If only you were this way, I wouldn't be this way. If you would change, then our relationship would be all better. So we, you know, we throw the blame all on the other person. Sometimes we deny. You ever done that? Um, you know what your problem is? That, that you're critical. No, I'm not. You know, that kind of a thing. Uh, I know I am. I know I'm not, but what are you? You know? Juvenile reactions that we have to each other, really. It's all somebody else's fault. We deny, we refuse to admit the truth. Sometimes we get defensive. Boy, I tell you, that's my number one go-to. I'm going to dissect your argument and your criticism and your attack, and I'm going to find a weakness somewhere in there, and I'm going to pound on the weakness of that argument instead of dealing with what you actually said to me. You know, so I get defensive, try to explain everything away, or sometimes... Sometimes I do, uh, I take, I, I call it, <laughs> it's actually the coward's way out, but I call it the reaction of self-control, right? And this is what guys do a lot. We do what we call withdraw, right? Us guys, we're really good at withdrawing. And uh, the, the justification for withdrawal sounds good, but it actually ends up in disaster, right? So I'll tell you what we do. So uh, we get in a conflict with somebody and our emotions start to escalate and we say, boy, if this continues, I'm going to say or do something that's going to be really destructive. I don't want to do that. I don't want to hurt the other person. I don't want to break anything. I don't want to do or say something that I, that I can't take back, right? So you're, go, you're you know, inside, you're like, and, and it's building up inside. And so you think the best way to handle this is to withdraw. I just, I just need to get away. I need to not scream or lose control. Um, I, my fear buttons are getting pushed. I'm, I don't want to get my fear buttons pushed anymore. So I'm going to withdraw. And I'm going to go uh, off by myself. Problem solved, right? 
Well, actually wrong. Your problems don't get resolved in withdrawal if you don't actually come back and deal with the problems. Because when you withdraw, especially the male, especially the husband, let's say you're in a marriage relationship, you're in a conflict with your wife and the husband says, I'm, I'm at, you know, my emotions are escalating, you're hurting my feelings, you're bringing up these core fears, you're pushing my buttons, and I, I feel like I'm going to lash out in response. I really don't want to do that. So what's the best thing to do? Withdraw, right? So I withdraw and you go to the garage. I mean, isn't that what the garage is for? It's for husbands to go when you get in an argument and you, and you just, you're, you're losing the argument or whatever. I just withdraw, go to the garage. So they, you know, you go to the garage, but what happens to your spouse when you withdraw, right? Especially to women who, if their core fear is abandonment, if their core fear is rejection, if their core fear is feeling unloved, and the one person that you're loving the most says, I don't want to deal with you anymore. I'm out of here. What, how do, what kind of feeling do they have at that moment? It's like, you're, you're abandoning me. You're, you're now touching on my deepest, darkest core fear. And withdrawing that just taps into the wife's fear of disconnection, abandonment, rejection, and so the dreaded fear dance goes on. It's a sad dance. It's a dance of destruction, and we want to learn to stop dancing that way and learn a new dance, a better dance. Let's go back to the story with Dan and Celeste, right? You remember there that the surface problem, the problem that seems to be the problem is that uh, whether or not they should move, right? So whether or not they're moved. So the Christian counselor starts probing a little deeper with Celeste. He says, Celeste, you say that you don't want to move because you, don't want, you wouldn't be around your family and friends anymore, right? And then he says, why is that a problem for you? And Celeste says, well, because they're an important support group for me, obviously. Okay, the counselor says, they're an important support for you, but if you go somewhere, can't you make new friends? Can't you you know, find a new support group wherever you go. And, and she says, um, she gets really distraught now. Uh, why do you want to stay here? Why is it so important for you to stay right here with this particular group of friends? And she's, she gets distraught. And finally, she says, and after a number of questions, she I'm just going to cut to the chase. And finally, she says, I just don't feel like I'm number one in my husband's life. And the counselor says, ah, I think we're starting to find out what the real problem is. You see, for Celeste, Dan's wife, the move wasn't so much the problem. The problem was her feelings. The problem was her fears. And she said, I feel unimportant to Dan. I feel that I'm not really a priority in his life. And she turned to Dan, um, or she actually turned to the Christian counselor, and she said, it scares me to move because if we do, I'm afraid that I'm going to end up alone. And then she started crying. And you can imagine Dan, you know, how he responds to that moment. So Dan, her husband, he's silently listening and he's taking all of this in. And the counselor turns to Dan and asks some questions about moving and why he thought it was important. And after a few questions, Dan finally admits this. He says, he says in this community with my wife's family, I don't feel like a man here. And I'm afraid if I stay in Celeste's hometown, which now we get more information, I'm afraid that if we stay in your hometown, I will continue to feel powerless. I feel like your family controls everything about our lives. And so you see that the problem, what looked like the problem, should they move 
and take the new job out of state or not. That just was the surface problem. The deeper problem was that Celeste felt unimportant and Dan felt that he no longer had control over his life. And notice something else too, because at the heart of the matter, at the heart of, of the problem that they were going through, each of them had a core fear. And that core fear was being triggered by the possibility of moving or not moving. Dan felt controlled and Celeste was afraid that she uh, would be abandoned or that she would lose all her friends. And here's the other thing that happens typically is both Dan and Celeste were demanding for the sake of the marriage, they were demanding that the other person change. If you would just change, then we, we would be all right. So that brings up number four. The number four uh, issue uh, to deal with today is don't expect the other person to be the solution. The solution is not to change the other person. Sometimes we think if I could only change the other person, I'd be happy. And it's really not the circumstances. Again, it's not just the circumstances that are happening to me. It's what I think about those circumstances. I remember one of the breakthroughs that Lisa and I had in our marriage relationship. In fact, Lisa and I will talk about this more next week when we're going to talk about safety and how to create a safe environment for better relationships. Uh, but I remember 10 years into our marriage, we're in our kitchen in Sacramento, and we're arguing about something. It seems like the refrigerator, whatever, whatever the, surf, the, the surface problem was. I think we needed a new refrigerator, and I didn't think we could afford it, and we started arguing about stuff. And then it, we started arguing about other stuff, because, you know, typically one problem, you know, is just the catalyst to start bringing up every other problem in the relationship. So now we're arguing, we're hurting each other's feelings, and... Uh, it finally dawned on me as Lisa, is a, you know, she's the more mature one in emotional relationships and she's starting to express, I care about you and all this stuff. And I said, I just stopped and I paused. And this is 10 years into the marriage. And I looked at her and I said, I said, Lisa, so you're saying that you're on my side? Can you believe I even asked that question? Like, you're saying that you're on my side? And she looks at me and I... I think in a, in a darker moment, she might would have said, well, duh. Uh, uh, but, but I think she says, of course, I'm on your side. I love you and I care about you. And I said, so instead of us trying to figure out how we're going to manipulate each other to get what we want, let's start working together. Instead of seeing each other as the problem, let's go side by side and let's attack the problem together. And it was like, bingo. And I know, I, I know for a fact our relationship got way better ever since and has kept getting better ever since. Because I think that in some way, even though we didn't even know what the fear dance was, we stopped doing the fear dance in that, uh, in, in, well, certainly in that particular case. Let's go back to this one. No, don't expect the other person to be the solution. If you expect the other person to be the solution, that's called misplaced expectations. And when you expect and demand that other people or places or things, when you expect them to fulfill your wants, you are going to be disappointed. Now, you might pause and ask yourself, you say, well, how in an honest moment, you say, if I'm married and I'm in a relationship or I have a significant other, just stop and ask yourself an honest question. How have you tried to change your spouse? How have you tried to change your significant other? How have you tried to change your deep friendship with somebody? How have you tried to make them conform their ways to your life? 
You know, if you would only act this way, if you'd only be this way, then we could be happy. How have you tried to manipulate them to get your wants fulfilled? The Bible says this in Romans chapter 12. It says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but the Bible, Paul says, be transformed, be changed by the renewing of your mind. So as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. It's not just what happens to you and to me. It's, what, it's how we think about what's happening to you and me. And not allowing those core fears to get triggered all the time so that we move right into the steps of the dance of destruction. Let's turn back to Dan and Celeste. Remember that with the surface issue, right? Whether you should take the job and move out of state, whether they should move. Dan and Celeste... Uh, after a lot of conversation with the help of the counselor, they were able to identify their core fears. Dan feared losing control. Celeste feared loss of connection. It wasn't just about the move itself. It wasn't just about the other person and disagreeing with them. It was about dealing with their core fears. It was about them both uh, being willing to step away from the fear dance. The counselor asked Dan, says, so are Celeste and their and her family, Dan, and, he, and I'll ask an appointed question. Are Celeste and her family, are they responsible for you feeling controlled? And Dan says, no, they're not. I just never understood that my, that my core fear was about being controlled. Okay, then. So what do you think you should do when you start to feel controlled? And Dan says, well, I can remember who God says I am. I can stop reacting to others when I think they're trying to control me. And I have to remember, you know what? If they're trying to control me, that's their problem. That's not my problem. So the counselor says, very good. Dan, you're, you're taking some giant leaps forward. And then the counselor turns to Celeste, his wife, and, and asks her this. So what can you do, Celeste, to help yourself feel valued and important? Because if if you're depending on your family and your friends in your own hometown for this, that's not altogether healthy. And she replies, well, I can remember who God says I am. I can do some things that I enjoy doing. And I can stop trying to control Dan, and I can become the wife that God created me to be. When Celeste said that, Dan took his wife by the hand and said, thank you, honey. You are very important to me. And then Celeste started describing, and then this is totally unexpectedly. This is where Dan says, wow, you know, miracles happen, right? Because unexpectedly, Celeste now started describing some boundaries that together they could draw around their family so they wouldn't be controlled by Celeste's extended family. And they kissed, you see, happily ever after, right? And they kissed, and here's the other thing. Nobody talked about a move anymore. Nobody talked about a move anymore. So there is a way out of the fear dance. Number five is the hope. We can break the rhythm of the fear dance. I mean, wouldn't you rather do the love dance with somebody? Wouldn't you rather do the joy dance, the peace dance, instead of the destructive four steps of the fear dance, instead of the, you know, hurt, want, fear, react, you hurt, you want, you fear, you react. Oh, that triggers something in me. I hurt, I want, I fear, I react. You know, stop the fear dance. We can break the rhythm of the fear dance if we understand the other person isn't the core problem. 
What is the core problem? The core problem is the fear that I have inside, and it's something inside of me. It's something inside of you. That's what we really have to deal with. The core fear for men is probably fear of failure or losing control. The core fear for most women is probably not being loved or being rejected. And so if we start to understand our core fear, then we can begin the new dance steps. And we're going to talk about the new dance steps that lead to safety in relationships next week. So as they say on Batman, you know, same bat time, same bat channel, but tune in next week when we start that. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. And if we're to love our neighbor as ourselves, that's one of the things we need to treat the other person. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. Right? Who, what does our enemy do to our lives? He condemns us. He attacks us. He's called the accuser of the brethren. Right? So he's always trying to see He's, tr he's trying to point out to God, point out to us, and point out to everybody else what our faults, what our failures are, what our shortcomings are, what our weaknesses are, and we let those core fears, we let him get to us when we, tap, when we let him tap into that. God, on the other hand, instead of condemning or attacking, God brings things to our life, but it's for the purpose of, of, of uh, the guilt triggering confession. The confession brings God's forgiveness and, the, and then God puts us on a brand new pathway and he says there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're now on the, on the pathway of life and in the law of the spirit and that's setting us free from the law of condemnation and sin and death. So we can learn these new dance steps. Here's our action points. I'm gonna close real fast. The action points are this. Remember, most of, the, most of the time, the surface problem is not the real problem. Number two, stop the box step, the four-step deal of the fear dance. You remember what they are, right? Hurt, want, fear, react. Let's stop that fear dance. And then number three, take time to figure out your own core fears. Let's go back to that list. And it's, on, it's in your bulletin, the list of what uh, the typical core fears are. And try to understand what your core fears are and then uh, say, okay, now that I understand that, I'm gonna replace that core fear with some truth that is in God's word. Because God's word is the answer for dealing with the core fears. Because God, number four, it's not in your, it's not in your notes, but it says number four is understand how God can answer and protect you from all your fears. He can meet all your core needs. You know, basically God wants us to depend on him. He says, I'm here to meet your needs. You need love, you're gonna get love. You need grace, you need forgiveness, you need value, you need significance, you need all of those things. I'm here to give you that. You are a beloved child of God. And ultimately, we can, we can echo uh, what John says here in 1 John, where he says, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So if that core fear is still controlling you, if that core fear is still controlling us, we've got to deal with that and replace it with the perfect love of God because God's perfect love will drive out that fear. 
and then we don't have to do the destructive dance of fear. That song that uh, the worship team sang before, Oh, Come to the Altar, right? It says, are, are you ready to come to the well? Are you thirsty within? Do you want a drink from the well? And God says, he's ready to give it to you. He says, is any of you thirsty? Let him come and drink. Jesus says it this way. Jesus says, here I am. And he's talking about being ready with his love and his grace and his forgiveness to give us significance. Jesus made the first move toward us. It says we love God because he first loved us. Jesus came to us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. And so Jesus has that kind of perfect love that dispels all fear. We can find our true life. We find our security in a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And Jesus is offering that. If you've never entered into that relationship, saving relationship with Jesus, if, if that's a step you've yet to take, I invite you to take it today because Jesus' words are this. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, if you hear the Lord calling you, then like the song says, come to the altar. And that's sort of just a metaphor of saying, come to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I am ready to say yes to following you. Look what the psalmist says, dealing with his fears. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. God has an amazing way to do that, to give us his peace and, and we give him our fears. So I hope you're ready today to respond to Jesus' invitation. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. God, I come before you this morning to, just to say that I need you. And I recognize that the way you created me was to be in a dependent relationship on you. Lord, I, I can't live on my own. I, I'm dependent on taking breaths every minute. I'm dependent on the oxygen level in the atmosphere. I, I have to have water, food, clothing, shelter. I am not independent at all, Lord. I, I am dependent on you, and I, I confess before you today that I need you. Lord, thank you for taking the first step toward me. Thank you for your great love that was proven when you died and you gave your life on the cross to pay for all my sins. Lord, today I'm turning away from all the bad things that I've done, all the wrong things that I've said, and I ask you to forgive me. I want to know you better. I want to be able to follow you. I want to get out of the fear and into the grace and into the love and the acceptance and the significance that you say you promise those who would follow you. Lord, please show me how to live. Show me how to have the right kind of relationships with other people. Teach me what that means to love my neighbor as myself. Thank you for filling up the holes in my heart with your love and your grace and your mercy. Lord, help me to overcome my fears. Help me to be kind and gracious and understanding with other people. Lord, I confess to you that I've hurt others. I've said and done things that have hurt people that I really do love and care about. And Lord, I know sometimes they've hurt me too. You say there's no love, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. So God, help us both to forgive each other. Help us to begin to treat each other right with care and respect and honor. 
Lord, I ask that you'd pour your love into me through your Holy Spirit so that I can live a life like that. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.